Before we come directly to the subject of message two, uh, living the Christian life under the government of God, I want to share uh, four matters related to this. And the first concerns the kind of Peter, a kind of person Peter became in the Lord that enabled him to write a letter like this. We know from the record in the Gospels that he was a very assertive person, quick to act, strong, full of self-confidence, but also, in the way he could at the time, was absolute to follow the Lord. But the Creator God knew that Peter and all the apostles representing all the believers, they need certain experiences under God's sovereignty to be constituted with Christ into the kind of person that can really represent God and truly care for God's people. So two particular things happened to Peter beginning the night the Lord was arrested. We may be and probably are somewhat familiar with his boast, his promise that I will not forsake you, I'm ready to go to prison, I will die for you. Maybe the other ones here won't, but I'm ready to go. And the Lord said, you would deny me three times. Peter did that. Then Luke records, the Lord turned and looked at Peter. I don't believe that he was, he was glaring. He was full of self-pity. Peter was broken and humbled by his failure. And when the Lord openly restored him in John 21, he asked him three questions, kind of corresponding to his three denials. Do you love me? Then feed my lambs, feed my sheep, shepherd my sheep. I have been learning and still learning that only a broken, humbled person can bear the responsibility in the church, in the work, in the ministry, and care for the saints according to God. In chapter 5, Peter addresses the elders. And he said, I also am an elder. And he directed them, shepherd the flock of God according to God. That means something has to take place in the lives of these men that they're constituted with God. So I have observed and I have experienced this vivid contrast in interacting with, I just have no idea how many hundreds of hours devoted to fellowship with saints. And on the one hand, you have those that can testify. When I 
<clears throat> was under the care of this brother. <clears throat> he just ministered grace and life to me. But with others, you realize they didn't shepherd according to God. They shepherded according to their self, to their powerful disposition. And saints were wounded. Peter was very familiar with this. And so, before he could write this epistle, he had to become a person constituted in such a way that his words would not be mere doctrines, but words of grace and life. <clears throat> but Peter had a different kind of experience at the same time. And it's very striking. This described by the Lord himself in Luke chapter 22, verses 31 uh, and 32. The Lord is speaking. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has asked to have you all that he may sift you as wheat. But I have made petition concerning you that your faith would not fail. And you, once you have turned again, establish your brothers. So verse 31, he's speaking to Simon but he's addressing all of them. And he's saying, Satan has asked to have you. Similar to Job chapter 1. God knew that Job was a good man, but not a God man. And as a good man, he was built up in himself. His righteousness, his integrity were all himself. And that had to be torn down and Job reduced to nothing so that God could constitute him with himself to make him a God man. But the experiences Job needed, God would never do himself. But he knew the enemy, the pernicious one that he is, would welcome the opportunity to do it. So within limits set by God, he allowed Satan to do this, to do that, but you have to preserve his life. Well, something similar is here. Because Satan is the enemy outwardly, but he's still an adversary within the realm of the heavens. So he may appear, as in Job, their conversations. I, I, want, to, I, I want to do this. I'm asking you. Let me have a shot at them, the Lord would say. Okay. You're asking to have them. And he will sift you as wheat. 
So they're all put into this sieve, spiritually speaking, and they're shaken and they're tossed up and down. And this kind of experience, you don't know what is happening. You don't know where you are. You hardly know who you are for a period of time. But there's a sifting. So what passes through the sieve is the fine flour, the humanity of Jesus. And that happened to all of them. That is why things are so different in Acts 1 from Luke 22. In Luke 22, they're still arguing. I'm the first. No, I'm the first. I'm the best. No, I'm the... Right to the very end. And so uh, how could the Lord commit the whole move on the earth to these kind of people? They're going to be competing now in the church and in the work and everything. And so he let Satan sift them. And then he said, but I have made petition concerning you. <coughs> that your faith would not fail. Because the Lord knows we are fragile vessels. And at a certain point, our faith could fail. Faith has its source in God. And we are all capable of reaching a point where we just can't go on. And then we turn. I know lives like this. They're still regenerated, but now they're living as if they have no faith. I made petition for you that your faith would not fail. And you, Peter, once you have turned again, you will turn again. I'm praying for you. You will be recovered. Establish your brothers. Again, only a sifted person, only one who has passed through this particular kind of dealing will have the humanity of Jesus and the life and nature of God to be able to comfort suffering saints, to speak truth to them life to them, grace to them. And so what the Lord said to Peter, you will establish your brothers. And what he said to Peter in John 1 about shepherding and feeding, this is what he's doing in this epistle. This is the way he is presenting the view of God's government to God's people. And I'm looking to the Lord for his mercy and grace. But in this, I love this conference. It's a kind of a family gathering, not a huge event. It's so pleasant that the Lord would continue, that we would learn about God's government in this kind of atmosphere and with this kind of spirit. Now the Lord said to Peter, establish your brothers. And so at the end of 1 Peter, in verse 10, 
And this brings my second point. He refers to God as the God of all grace. That hymn was called last night. I hope the brother wasn't troubled by the fact we waited until this morning to sing it. Grace in its highest definition is. But then Peter is doing all of this by grace. And grace means I can't be this. I can't take this. I can't endure this. I can't accomplish this. I can't bear it. So instead, you have God in Christ as the Spirit coming to you saying, I will be everything. I will do everything. I will supply everything. I am the God of all grace. I'm not going to leave you in that situation under my governmental hand and then go about my business and come back in a few years. No, I'm the God of all grace. But the God of all grace, he who has called you into his eternal glory in Christ Jesus. That's our destination. Eternal glory. That's why Paul in 2 Corinthians 4 could say that temporarily there's the sufferings. But it can't be compared to the glory that's coming. We need to see this. The glory that's coming after you have suffered a little while. Now when God says a little while That's different from our thinking a little while. So I've been learning whenever I had the the sense God says soon, I'd like to ask him, what do you mean by soon? Okay. I, I come quickly. Okay. What is quickly? Well, he may say, well, it's only been two days. In my calculation, one day, 1,000 years per day. And so anyway, the divine thought is a little while, but we all know it just doesn't seem like a little while. It seems like it's never ending, right? Then listen to this. Will himself, the God of all grace, will himself, Perfect, establish, strengthen, and ground you. This means that God himself directly will do this in the life of each one of us. Certain things he will do through the church, through the members of the body, through the ministry of the word, I believe he's caused my angel to be very active to keep me alive. Right? I mean, once I was driving and I was not racing or anything, just slightly distracted. 
and the car in front of me has stopped and something alerted me, I'm pretty sure. You know, it was my angel tapping me on the shoulder, wake up, Ron. Anyway, whether that's the case or not, the point is the God of all grace himself will perfect, establish, strengthen, and ground you. And the goal is grounding you so that you become unshakable. And Hebrews 12 tells us a quote from Haggai. God will shake the heavens and the earth. Everything that can be shaken will be shaken. But we have received an unshakable kingdom. And we're going to become unshakable saints. Now I've observed throughout the recovery that we're we're in different stages and there are different degrees of development of faith. So some, when they hear about this virus, they're panicking. They're driven by fear, just what's going on in the culture. Well, I don't criticize them. This is just where they are right now. The Lord will develop their faith. But thankfully, there are sisters and brothers alike that are in the recovery that are unshakable. They're going to be the pillars supporting the situation. And so you have in this epistle, grace upon grace. And then now the third point is Peter is ministering this grace in relation to the saints' suffering. And at breakfast this morning, I was asked a a very important question to which I can give a partial answer because I only have a partial understanding. And that concerns... Are all sufferings the same? Are all sufferings something of God's government? And clearly the answer to that is no. And as for most things, I've learned so much from Brother Lee's ministry, he was having a conference on 2 Corinthians in Seattle. And during that time, there was still in Seattle this group of sorry to say, women that had a very peculiar kind of so-called spirituality that was not according to God, it was not normal and not healthy. And one of them, they thought, oh, the subject is going to include suffering. So they called to him, each blow I suffer is true gain to me. It's a wonderful hymn, but it shouldn't be misused. And when Brother Lee came in and they were singing this hymn, then he began his message by a word of adjustment, of a wrong understanding of this kind of thing. And so there are various kinds of sufferings. There's the suffering that human beings all have just by being alive in the old creation simply by being here. To live in a fallen condition. 
under the curse on the old creation. And so if there is certain things happening, then we are not uh, exempt from that. And so I wouldn't say that there's that kind of suffering, there's an earthquake, there's a tidal wave, there's this and that. That's God's governmental judgment. Or this happened to all of us, you got the flu, so many others got it, that that's a judgment. If we inquire of the Lord, he will supply us. He's going to care for us. We can pray for healing. We can pray for care. But this is not a judgment. You're part of this old creation. Then another level are sufferings caused by our own mistakes. So let's say a brother, he has a good job, but he's habitually late. And so his boss warns him, you, you, you come in late and it's, everyone else is here, it's disheartening to them. And he doesn't improve. So they told him one last time, if this continues, we're going to release you. But it continues, so he's fired. He can't turn around and say, I am making up what is lacking of the sufferings of Christ for the church. I'm suffering for the gospel. It's because he was ungodly and I'm godly. No, you suffer because you're tardy all the time. And you brought this upon yourself. Then there are the kind of sufferings that are determined by God's will. Peter is very honest. He said, it may be God's will for you to suffer in this way. So he's in control of that, and he is using that to perfect you, to establish you. And then there's another category that I have no answer for. We just don't understand. We just don't understand. And the only one who can understand and does understand is God. And I believe many of you can join me in this. You prayed and prayed and prayed, and the heavens are silent. You pray, I'm talking about not only days, weeks, months, years. It seems there's no God. It seems. In the most difficult case of this that I faced, may the Lord cover us all. It would never happen again anywhere. It was when I came home from a prayer meeting and I learned that 12-year-old Ben Brenneman was missing. He was last seen at an apartment complex canvassing for signing up for the, subscribe to the newspaper. So I went there. And the police were there. They had set up kind of center of operation. And Brother Lee found out about it. And he asked me to keep in touch with him the next few days. And I knew him, Ben, 
from the, the time he was an infant. You know his parents from 1966. This is 1981. And then I was with them in their home when the night detective from the Anaheim Police Force was there. And they had heard they had found the body of a boy, but they didn't know who it was. And at 3 a.m., the call came to the detective. I could tell by the way he spoke on the call, this is bad news. Then he said, there's no way, easy way to say this. That was your son. And just the shriek of agony and the question, why? And I just stayed there the night, slept on the couch in the living room to be with them hour after hour. When Brother Lee found out about this, he said to me, what kind of country? is this. Then he called me again. He said, I want to be with the family. Please bring me there. And so I was there with him. And I just observed. No religious talk. No spiritual phrases. But his very being, his very presence, ministered resurrection life. And then he referred to a hymn. And then he said, can we sing this hymn? It's in the section on comforts and trials. When the hymnal first came out, I wondered, why is this section of the hymnal so long? <laughs> now I understand a little. We need a long section of hymns like this. And so when, when our sufferings are in this realm, I have nothing to say. I won't say anything. I will not be like one of Job's friends to give opinion. And one reason I'm sharing this is that I don't want the enemy to plant the thought in our mind that from now on, any kind of suffering is a governmental dealing. And we shouldn't be evaluating other people's lives, saying, this is God judging you. This just brings in death and more pain. Let's admit we don't know. But in relation to this, this is something else Peter experienced. So did Paul, so did John, and so will all the present overcomers. They will experience what is revealed in the parable in Luke 18 concerning praying unceasingly about certain matters, praying without losing heart. And the Lord uh, shared this, told this parable. I can't quote exactly. The, the thought is accurate, but I'm paraphrasing. There's a widow who is being persecuted by an adversary. And the only recourse, the only source of help she has is to appeal to a judge 
but he's crooked. He's an unrighteous judge who doesn't care about this widow or anyone else. But she keeps coming to him. So he says, and this is in the text, I admit I'm an unjust judge. I don't care about her situation, but she's pestering me. She won't stop. I have to get her to stop, so I will do it. Then the Lord asked the question, do you hear what the unjust judge said? Then he said, will not God avenge his chosen ones? Why does he say that? It seems that there's no God. You understand me, some of you? There's just silence and no sign of activity. Then the enemy coming and not only accusing us, slandering God. Why do you want to serve such a God? But then the Lord went on to say, God will avenge them quickly. He will. But when the Son of Man comes, will he find such faith on the earth? And when Brother Lee ministers on that in certain places, he points out this is the faith of the overcomers. We are nearing the end of the age. The battle will intensify. It will intensify. And the grace will also intensify sevenfold. And when the Son of Man comes, he will need the living overcomers to have developed this kind of faith. This is a subject for another conference, somewhere, sometime, as the Lord leads. This is why Hebrews 12 says, look away unto Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. And so when we're in these situations that uh, no one can explain. And if you would ask me, I would never give a thought. I would never give an opinion. I'm not going to add to your suffering by giving you an opinion from the self. I will not be Zophar's buddy. He was Zophar off anyway. <laughs> Maybe you could name a dog Zophar, but don't name your son <laughs> Zophar. And then the fourth matter is this, and, and this is of utmost importance, that while God is, you could say, dealing with us, or judging us, or disciplining us, according to his righteous government, at the same time, he is caring for us in a faithful, loving, tender way. 
they always go together. That's what I began to learn that morning I told you about last night. This is your hand. This is your government. I humble myself. I will be humbled under this. And then the grace, the love. I thought, surely you're going to be mad at me. You're not. The love, the tenderness, the faithfulness. And this could enter into us, this realization. We'll realize we are in the safest place anyone could be in. I don't know if there's a country like this on the earth, probably not. But a country that has two characteristics. One is there is righteousness everywhere. Okay? And the laws are definite and they're enforced strictly but righteously. And once you learn the laws and you obey them, you have nothing to worry about. But also, that government provides the best health care the best education, the best living arrangements for elderly people, unlike the youth conscious society of the United States that really disregards and even dishonors elderly people in contrast to the Far East, then you realize, yes, the laws are strict, but the government is righteous. And all my needs are supplied here. People from all over the earth will try to get into that country. So in one sense, humanly, I can understand a little bit why someone from a you know, very unpleasant place would like to sneak into this country. I'm not taking a position, but humanly I can say yes. And if it's a woman who's pregnant, she realizes, if I can get here and my child is born here, he or she will be an American. Okay, I'm not taking a position. I'm just pointing out that we realize a certain country, a certain government is more livable than others. Well, outwardly, we have to live in whatever situation we're in. But inwardly, we're citizens of another government. And the kingdom in which this government rules is called the kingdom of the son of God's love. There's no fear. There's no abuse of authority. The Lord rules us in love, in light, and in life. What a pleasant place. And in this pleasant place, there is this righteous government. And we need to see we're here. But we're not exactly rapture ready yet. Right? Uh, I don't expect to be raptured before the end of this weekend conference. But I believe we're going to be. I believe it's going to happen. And so our Father God knows that we need the training. I'm glad the word, the brother used the word last night, the discipline 
the training so that he can really gain the church and the church will express him and the church will represent him with his authority and deal with the enemy, pray for God's will to be done and bring in the kingdom. So now we can come to outline two on living the Christian life under the government of God. And this covers, in a brief way, several aspects of this. I don't say all, but several. Point one says, as believers in Christ and children of God, we should live a Christian life under the government of God. But, but so many believers don't, mainly because they don't know about it. And God takes this into consideration. In Luke 12, there's a portion about um, receiving the kingdom reward. And the Lord says, um, those who did not, those who knew God's will, they knew it. But they didn't do it. They will be disciplined severely. But those who didn't know, they will be disciplined less severely. So many dear Christians under the preaching and teaching of Persons who are lacking in spiritual understanding themselves, they can honestly say, I never knew anything about this. I was taught that I should just wait to go to heaven and be a good person and put money on the offering plate and do things like that. And the Lord would say, I know. You're still not ready but I know how to perfect you. You just need more time. But for those of us who know, whether it's God's economy or God's will, it's a blessing, but it's also a responsibility. Because when I meet the Lord, I won't be able to say, I didn't know about the kingdom and overcomers and being saved in life and I didn't know, but I would rather know and be responsible than not know and just waste most of my life. So it is a blessing, I believe, a privilege to have this balanced view of God's government. We're here, we're under righteousness, God is no respecter of persons. His love for all human beings is the same. There's no preference, no bias, no prejudice, no discrimination at all, not with him, and not with those who are saturated with him. Then point two says, the epistles of Peter reveal the Christ who enables us 
to take God's governmental dealings administered through sufferings. So Peter reveals Christ in chapter 2. Christ is called the preciousness to us. He's a living stone. He's making us living stones. The world despises him. But we come to him as the living stone to us is the preciousness. And God the Father in his care for you wants you to see and appreciate the preciousness of the Christ who is enabling you to live under God's government. And you just touch the person. It's not just he's precious. He is preciousness itself. Then in the same chapter, uh, Peter says, he says this, For you were like sheep being led astray. And this has happened to so many, being led astray. But you have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Okay, you're a sheep, I'm a sheep. You wandered off or you were led astray. God doesn't say forget about you. I've got 99 here in the flock. That's a good percentage. What's one more? That's not his heart. The 99 are okay. I'm going to go look for that missing one until I find that one. And I will put the sheep on my shoulder or the lamb and carry him back and say, rejoice with me, for I have found the lost sheep. This is Luke 15, as you know. There will be more joy in heaven. Well, the Lord prays to bring us back to the shepherd and overseer of our soul. So as the overseer is in our spirit, not spying, as I mentioned, but observing. Okay, you're feeling this. You're suffering this. You're troubled by this. You're worried about this. Let me shepherd your soul. To bring your soul first into peace. Then enable you to be joyful again. For many years, based upon a concept I had, a twofold concept that was in me governing me from the time I was 19 because of something that traumatic that happened in my life. And I just concluded, there is no real love and joy is for shallow people. People who want to be deep and face the reality of human life, they can't be happy. So regarding the first part, I came into the recovery with this state of mind. Those who said they love me, 
They loved only the image. Once they knew me, no one would love the real person. So forget about it. I'll settle for respect. Then I'm in a church meeting and we're singing a hymn. Come and rejoice with me. For I have found a friend who knows my heart's most secret depths, yet loves me without end. And I, for the first time, I realized this is love. He loves because he's love. But then the joy matter took a longer time until a faithful person who had the ground with me said, Ron, you are robbing yourself of so much enjoyment. And I realized it was the enemy manipulating me, as the sister shared last night, the thief robbing me. And then I got help from Brother Lee again in the book, The Experience of Christ. And he pointed out the difference between the experience of Christ and the enjoyment of Christ. The experience of Christ is in our spirit. We exercise our spirit, we contact him, we're one with him. But enjoyment is in the soul. And if, there, if our soul is troubled in any way, the joy is gone. And then it was connected from my study with the shepherd of our soul. And so, Lord, I just asked him one day when I was walking, just care for me according to your understanding. I don't know where I am. I don't know what I need. Be the shepherd of my soul. And now I can testify to you this is not something that's just a flashing of a moment. This is the atmosphere of my life in the last three years because of a certain counterpart the Lord provided together. These are the happiest years of my life. Amen. And eventually, what the joy does is it changes our countenance. It changes our expression. Well, Peter reveals this kind of Christ who enables us to take the dealings. He's not only supplying us with grace, but with himself, especially as the shepherd of our soul, and this he does whether you ask him to do it or not. He cares for all the sheep. He knows your mood. He knows how this has hurt you. He knows that certain memories, certain feelings are still buried within you. He knows it takes a lot of energy just to hold yourself together, to get through a day. And then he knows when to touch them how to touch them. He will release you, deliver you from all the fears. He'll cast out all the fear. 
And then you will find yourself. And this is mysterious. No matter what is going on, there's still joy deep within. When Paul wrote Philippians, I asked this question, was he joyful or sorrowful? If you read it carefully, yes, he was joyful. He said, rejoice, I rejoiced. Again, I say rejoice. Okay, but in chapter 2, he said, you heard that Epaphroditus was sick. And he was unto death. It was that serious. But God had mercy on him and on me that I would not have sorrow upon sorrow. And the Lord healed him so that I would be less Sorrowful. So is he joyful or sorrowful? The answer is yes. This is just part of our complications. Eventually it'll make sense to you. Because certain things are happening and we're human. How can we not grieve? How can we not be in pain? But at the same time, there's a shepherd supplying us. And so deep within, it's like the eye of the hurricane. There's just a sense of joy in the Lord. Then this brings us to point three. We should be humbled under the mighty hand of God, which carries out the government of God. So we need to be very accurate here in our understanding. Peter says, be humbled. He doesn't say, humble yourself, okay? Because if he said, humble yourself, then what we're all going to do is try to humble ourselves. But a person with the degree of pride that I used to have, if I tried to humble myself, and then I humbled myself, then I would be proud of my humility. (laughs) So now it's worse. So it says, be humbled. So the be part is, we agree, we cooperate. But it's God who does the humbling, okay? With someone like Peter, who is saying, I will die, I'll go to prison, anything. I'm the hero, they're a bunch of wimps. I'm the man. You don't just say, Peter, humble yourself. There's no way. You just bring him through certain circumstances, then he will be humbled. I agree with you, Lord. I agree. That's the be part. The humbled part is what you do. So don't try to improve yourself. Don't try to change anything. Don't try to be humble. But receive the grace that you are willing to receive God's mighty hand through your situation. A says in verse 6, the mighty hand of God refers to God's administrating hand seen especially in his judgment. So if his hand comes on, on us, 
then we should inquire of him, as I did that morning. Ask him, Lord, what is this? What is the meaning of this? You want to show me, and you may have the sense, this is my hand. Then, Lord, I say amen. And B says, to be humbled under God's mighty hand is to be made humble by God. However, we must cooperate with God's operation and be willing to be made humble, lowly, under his mighty hand. And it's true to say most of the saints, when this process starts, they're willing. They're willing. But there are some very strong-willed brothers, mainly, but also sisters sometimes. They just resist. They're not going to give an inch of cooperation. No. I'm not going to be humbled in this situation. I'm not going to be put down. I'm not going to be down low. That's not going to happen to me. Then God may say to himself, okay, I've seen this happen in lives of very, very strong brothers. I'll lift my hand. Then they say, yippee. They say, yippee, I'm free. Well, not exactly. The Lord is saying, I can't get through to you now. I've done this, I've done that. You resisted me every time. So I'll just take my hand away for now. I'll see you on another day. In another period of time. I don't want to be in that kind of situation. And so some of us might need a backup prayer to this be willing if as you're listening to this, you're a little worried of what, whether you were willing to be willing. So here's a backup prayer. Lord, have mercy on me. Enable me to be willing. Just enable me to cooperate. And then he will raise us up in due time. We don't try to raise ourselves up. We don't defend. We don't vindicate. We leave that to God. Then point four, as we live under the government of God, we will be made sorrowful by various trials and experience the proving of our faith. So we mislead new believers. You just say, now you're a Christian, everything will be hunky-dory, whatever hunky-dory means. It'll be, everything will be joyful. It'll be one blessing after another. That's simply not true. The Christian life is rather complicated. There's joy in the Lord. And we, we will be made sorrowful by the trials. Because God is proving our faith by fire. He's refining us by fire. A, the trials in verse 6 our suffering, suffering that tests the quality of our life as believers. Well, God already knows, but the test is for us to realize where we are. 
not only negatively, but positively, like in Song of Songs. And this is altogether in love, and so because the Lord, the beloved, loves the seeker, everything he says to her is in love. So he begins by saying, Oh, my love, you're a horse. You're an Egyptian mare drawing a chariot. And she doesn't stop crying and run home to mommy. Mommy, my boyfriend, he said I'm a horse. <laughs> Rather, she knows this is a word of love and she would say, you call me your love. I admit, I am strong. I am energetic to the uttermost. You're right. Then not too long later, he comes, he looks at her again, he says, your eyes are like doves. Oh, your spiritual understanding. Then right after that, he comes and says, hi, Lily. Oh, my dove in the clefts of the rock. So don't think the Lord is just always going to be saying, oh, you failed at this, you're no good at this, you're stuck here. He'll come and say, you're not a mare anymore. You're a lily. Oh, the lily stage is over. You're a dove. Now you're not a dove, you're a pillar. Now you're not just a pillar, you're a garden. You're not only the garden, you're as beautiful as the sun as the moon. Now I'm going to call you Shulamite, my reproduction. So don't think it's going to, you're going to fail all the tests. Some are designed, like for the apostles. The final exam was designed that everyone would fail. That's the only way they could be broken and then blended so in Acts 1, they're in one accord. No more competition among them. Peter knew he needed all them. They knew they needed Peter on the day of Pentecost. The apostles knew, Peter, this is your portion. But then what we read is Peter standing with the 11. said, yes, but I can't do it without you. We're in this together. Okay, it happened then, it's going to happen to us, but there will be the trial. B, these trials are used by God to prove and try our faith to see whether we will follow Christ in suffering for doing good. So now Peter is addressing the suffering that you experience simply because you're a believer. And simply because you will not go along with the tide of this age. And you are doing your job in an excellent way, but you will not enter into this or that kind of talk. You will not be behind the back criticizing your boss. And people don't like that. But deep within, they respect you. Okay, let it be. The emphasis in 1 Peter 1.7 is not on faith, 
but on the proving of faith by trials that come through sufferings. So this is up to the sovereign God. He knows where we are. And if it's time to prove our faith, he knows we can pass through this. He will supply us with particular measure of grace. Christ will shepherd our soul and oversee us and be what we cannot be and do what we cannot do. We'll not be left alone. But the trials will be there. Point five. No, this is delightful to the uttermost. It is joy unspeakable and full of glory, full of glory, full of glory. It is joy unspeakable full of glory and the half has never yet been told. Okay, just this verse. Let me read it again. It's such a wonderful verse. And so we are either the most reasonable and clear-minded people or we are really a bunch of idiots believing something that we've never seen. But no, we are the normal ones. The unbelievers are the abnormal ones. Whom having not seen, you love. Lord Jesus, we love you. We can't see you right now, but we love you right now. We love him. Into whom, though not seeing him at present, yet believing. So we believe into him. This has happened to you day after day. You're in a situation and faith rises up. You just believe into union with the Lord. You do. At present, we don't see him yet believing. You exalt. This is the highest joy. You exalt with joy that is unspeakable and full of glory. So this also is a, a major part of our Christian life under the government of God. When Paul and Silas were in Philippi, and eventually, when they cast out this demon and the people swarmed around them, brought them to the, the judges, they were beaten with rods and put into prison in the stocks. This means their, their, wooden, their ankles were fixed, their hands were fixed, and their neck were fixed like this. It was an instrument of torture. They weren't just sitting there. I mean, if your body is in this situation for hours, you will ache. And what are they doing? They're singing praises to God. They're rejoicing in the Lord. How could that happen? So just a little sidebar. I say once again, with much affection for this brother. And I said, Brother Dick Taylor, if ever I'm in prison for the gospel, I hope you are my cellmate. <laughs> Because you will keep me singing with joy in the Lord. 
And so this is, the Lord enabled them to do what is humanly impossible. A, it is a wonder and a mystery that we, the believers, love one whom we have not seen. Yes, we are all Rebecca's. Like in Genesis, the old servant of Abraham comes, God guides him. He prayed a certain prayer, it was answered by Rebecca. He's welcomed by Rebecca's family. He tells them, he, the servant, tells them what happened. And uh, they say we, can say, we cannot say yes or no. This is from God. Not even yes, as if, yeah, we knew it all along. This is of God. Then they ask Rebecca, will you go with this man to marry a person you've never seen? Yes. He's, he, he, he sends some gifts that indicate the kind of person he is. So she gets on a camel and rides to marry someone she's never seen. And we're doing the same thing. We're all camel riders right now. And we're going to marry the real Isaac and enter into the tent. And whoa, what a honeymoon we're going to have. And what a wedding day we will have. We have not seen him. Be we love him whom we have not seen because of believing because of the faith that has been infused into us through hearing the living word of God. So the faith does not originate with us. So don't look down on yourself and condemn yourself for not having enough faith. None of us have the real thing. People, they can believe weird things, but to believe the word of God, to believe in God himself, we need the faith infused into us by God. That's how Abraham started his journey. He did not know the true God. He was an idolater like everyone else in Ur of the Chaldees. Then the God of glory appeared to him. Glorious God expressed, God shining. By appearing, he infused faith into Abraham. And this happened repeatedly until there's a response in faith in Genesis 15. Abraham believed. So this is why there's a basic lesson that we are learning from Hebrews 12. Look away. Look away. Look away, oh look away. Look to Jesus out today, hallelujah. Look away from everything unto Jesus. Look away from everything to him. And that Greek word, the verb there, is very strong. To look away from every distracting thing. To look away unto Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith. So once I was sharing this, mainly with the, the trainees, there are some others there. And I just 
felt to set this matter side by side with a Peanuts cartoon that should have been drawn. And uh, because they're from another generation, but I think they had heard of Peanuts. And Charlie Brown and Lucy. And Lucy always pulling away the football. And he falls on his back. I said, there should be a Peanuts cartoon in which someone is speaking to Charlie and says, Charlie, there's no problem so big that it can't be looked away from. And so what happened? Maybe about a week later, I went to buy mail slot and there was a Charlie Brown Peanuts cartoon <laughs> by a creative trainee. I have it. Charlie Brown is lying down. Lucy is there saying, Charlie, there's no problem so big that it can't be looked away from. Well, on this level, I make it rather light. But some of the things that are happening to us, that they, they really pull, they pull our being. But the Lord is interceding for us and he's praying, look away. In the midst of the situation, look away. In a way, I wish we had video of the following. Peter and the apostles are in a boat at night, crossing the Sea of Galilee, and the Lord comes walking on the water. And they're afraid. He said, don't be afraid, it's I. And give Peter credit. He's in the boat. He said, Lord, speak the word, and I will come to you. He wasn't presumptuous. The Lord said, come. So this is what happened. He, Peter got out. And he's walking on the water. What a sight. But then he starts looking around at the wind. And then he's sinking. And so he learned. And Paul learned. And John learned. And we will also learn. Look away. Amen. Hasn't the enemy more than once come to you and say, look at yourself, look at yourself. You're this, you're that. Now when he does, with, does this with me more and more, I say, shut up. Amen. Look away unto Jesus. Amen. I will not look at myself. Amen. I will look at the God-man Jesus on the throne. The place where he want, you wanted to be, he is there. Amen. And guess what? We're on our way to join him there. Amen. And you're going to be in the lake of fire. Amen. So don't tell me to look at myself. I'm learning to look away Amen. unto Jesus. Amen. See, this faith, is under the proving, the trying mentioned in 1 Peter 1. So the faith is being tried. And it's the trial that is precious. And now the gold, the faith is refined gold. 
And sometimes you just meet a sister like this. They're not outwardly particularly gifted or knowledgeable, but they've been through a lot. And just by being with her or him, you come away, your faith is strengthened. Nothing has been addressed about your situation because she or he realizes this is not for me to say anything. But you meet it. You meet the gold. And that increases your faith. D, joyful of glory is joy immersed in glory. It is joy that is filled with the expression of Christ. So we will not just have a kind of psychological ecstasy. It's a joy full of Christ that expresses Christ. Point six, we should commit our souls to the faithful creator. And I'd like to read that verse again, 419. So then, let those who are suffering according to the will of God commit their souls in well-being to a faithful creator. I suggest when there's a certain kind of suffering, a persistent physical suffering or other kind, we inquire of the Lord. Is this according to your will? It may not be. If we naively think everything is according to God's will, we can be a target. It may be an attack from the enemy. Then the Lord will lead us in a different way. But if he indicates, this is according to my will, then it says, commit your souls in well-doing to a faithful creator. So it's your soul that's going to be suffering the most. And the soul is the enemy's target. The battle is for our soul. And so we just commit your soul. The Lord is the shepherd of our soul. And God is the creator of our soul. And he is faithful. So Lord, I commit my mind, emotion, and will to you. Everything that's in my soul. All the memories all the feelings, all the intentions, everything I commit to you in this situation. You'll take care of me. You will protect me. A, God can preserve our soul and his loving and faithful care accompanies his justice in his governmental administration. This reinforces what I said in the beginning. His loving and faithful care. He cares for us faithfully in his love. In Brother Lee's ministry on 2 Corinthians, he points out emphatically about the intimate concern of the ministering life. And he pointed out that love and this concern go together, but they're not identical. That it's possible to love someone, but you're not really that concerned. 
They're just not. You think love is enough. But that is not the way we live the church life under the government of God. Our God cares for us faithfully and lovingly. He is the source of this intimate concern. And it's not human pity. It is Christ living in us. And there's just been, I don't try to keep track of these. But just sometimes I, I see a brother, and I know this has happened to me, it's, it's mutual. You just ask them a simple question. Just, how are you doing now? How is your daughter doing now? And your reason you ask, because you care. You care. You're not just curious to get information to talk about. You care. And the one you're talking to knows this. Hasn't someone ever said to you, thank you for asking? Just thank you for realizing. You don't give a speech. You don't try to say anything. Your being is a being of care. Peter was like this. Caring for this huge number of suffering believers. Ministering the caring God to them. B, while God judges us in his government, he cares for us faithfully in his love. As we are suffering his disciplinary judgment, we should commit our souls to the faithful care of our creator. In this epistle, Peter talks about the salvation of the soul. That is different from the transformation of the soul. <clears throat> Romans 5.10 says, much more we will be saved in life. And for our soul to be transformed means that it is being saved in life in this way. But when Peter speaks about the salvation of the soul, he means the soul finally being saved from suffering and to enter into the joy of the Lord in the kingdom. That's the salvation of the soul. Because those who give themselves to the Lord and consecrate to him, to follow him, the lamb, wherever he goes, they are deciding, I'm not living for the joy of my soul life. I'm not seeking a life of as much pleasure and as little pain as possible. I am believing in you. I am one with you. I am following you. I'm serving you at whatever cost. So the soul will suffer at times. But believers who will not take this way, who are not willing to pay any price, who are not willing to suffer for the Lord's sake, and they will be saving their soul in this way. But when they meet the Lord, they will lose their soul in this sense. You will not have a thousand years of enjoyment. You'll have a thousand years of training. But these 
who did not save themselves, save their soul. They were willing to suffer in their soul while they're following the Lord. They now have the salvation of their soul. That's why the master says, enter into the joy of your master. That means your soul is fully free forever. You'll never suffer again in your soul. So others who did option B, no, I want to have joy now. Forget about the future. I want it now. I'm an American. I want it now. I don't live for the future. Now. I've been there and done that. I want something else to give me joy now. Okay, you can have it. You don't get it both ways. No matter what the preacher said. He didn't know the truth himself. And he'll take the lead into the outer darkness. You can be with him if you want. And so the salvation of the soul is the soul being delivered from suffering. And so, yes, Peter uses that word for a little while, but when you compare that with a thousand years of joy, and also even while you're suffering, there's joy in the midst of the situation. This is the way we take So we should commit our souls to the faithful care of our Creator. I trust Him. I trust Him with my life. That's why when I was in the hospital that time and I asked Him, do you want me to die now? It's up to you. No. This is, I'm working on you. You haven't finished your course. Even when my first wife went to the Lord years ago, I realized I'm not dying now. I'm still running the race. I believe I need to be here for the Lord's sake. This is what we're here for, but it's up to him. He decided that Stephen would end in his youth as a martyr. That James, a brother of John, would be killed by Herod. That Peter and Paul would be martyred. But then he said to John, he might live until I come. So he has to live with this if for decades. Then he's in his 90s because he was needed. Yes, a mending ministry. He was needed. Then eventually realized, well, I guess I'll go to be with the Lord now. Okay. Now, the last section. In the death of Christ, we have died to sins so that, so that in the resurrection of Christ, we might live to righteousness under God's government. So we live to righteousness under God's government, just as Christ lived. God's government is established upon righteousness. As God's people living under his government, we must live a righteous life. That's the requirement of the government. We must live a righteous life. We say amen. Amen. Then we say, I cannot live a righteous life. Okay, I know. Let me do it, okay? 
the expression live to righteousness is related to the fulfilling of God's governmental requirements. We were saved so that we might live rightly under the government of God, that is, in a way that matches the righteous requirements of his government. In Christ's death, we have been separated from sins, and in his resurrection, we have been enlivened so that in our Christian life, we might live spontaneously through righteousness under the government of God. Anything we try to do deliberately is false. That is self-effort. Life is spontaneous. Just spontaneous. So tonight we will see, under God's government, we will become the reproduction of Christ. Whoa, what a future we have. But now we see that it's Christ living in us who enables us to live to righteousness under God's government. So what we can't be, he will be in us. How we can't live, he will live in us. What we can't do, he will do in us. This is a glimpse of the Christian life under the government of God. So the sharing last night was very helpful. And just, this will, I mentioned this to the trainees, this may help. Because I understand speaking in front of a group is frightening to almost all people. And so on a Wednesday night, they line up to speak for 30 seconds. And I know what happens. You go back to your seat and things are swirling around in your mind. You're hardly aware of what's going on. You're so conscious of yourself. And you felt, I, I used the wrong word. My accent was wrong. I said, and then after a few minutes, you come to surface again. Okay, I, I'm the same. I know the story. So here's a before and after you speak. Not just in this meeting, but anytime. Faith is related to our will. And we have a spirit of faith in us that we activate by our will. So if you have the feeling, the sense of speaking, then decide, I will speak. Don't stand up and say, I don't know if I should be speaking or not. I don't know if I have anything to say. No, don't, don't apologize. Just inwardly make a decision. I will speak. Then your spirit will come forth in a spirit of faith. Then after you speak and sit down, then pray, Lord, cover me with your precious blood because we're all learning. And so I hope a good number, maybe 20 of you or so for a minute. We'll see how the Lord leads us, how the brothers manage the meeting. We need you to confirm and complete the message wherever you are. Whatever language you have, as long as there's a translator, let the spirit flow. Okay? Okay, your turn now.